So we're going to kind of go in reverse this morning as far as the Christian seasons go. Um, we are actually in, a, in, a, in what's called ordinary time in the Christian calendar. That's the time between, between Pentecost and Advent. And normally, and you guys know that I have not been following this for, for most weeks, normally we would be focusing a lot on the, on the teachings of Jesus and the kingdom of God that Christ talks about so much in the Gospels. Those are your primary themes that, uh, that, that most that we concentrate on that, that are featured um, pretty much, again, from Pentecost all the way to Advent. But what I want to do today is I want to back up. I want to back up to about May. Because that's when we celebrate Pentecost, for the, uh, generally. This year it was, it, it was May anyway. And I want to talk to you guys about the Holy Spirit, and I want to talk to you guys particularly, more specifically, about the idea about, of the power that comes with the Holy Spirit. And a couple of things have prompted me, I believe, to talk about that this morning. Number one, I think God put it in my heart to talk about it. Number two, if you have been here for the last couple of weeks you would know that our church has experienced an outpouring of God's presence with us. If you were here last week, I reminded you that the, the week prior to that, if you were here, it was a powerful, powerful atmosphere. It was a powerful, powerful experience. The air was thick with the presence of God that day. And many of us recognized it. For whatever reason, God prompted me to call for an impromptu altar call right there in the middle of the service, which I've never done, ever. And a lot of people responded, because I think a lot of people felt that presence, they felt that calling, they felt that need, and they responded at that time. And that entire service, once again, was just filled with God's presence. Last week, me and Daryl uh, kind of had a conversation up here about, about, the, about the, just the idea of what we're doing here together when we gather to worship that we're not just here to sit in a pew and to occupy a place in a pew and to uh, recite old prayers and to, and, to, and to mumble the words of the hymns or the words that come up here on the, on the screen. We're here in the presence of God every time. We're here gathered together as a community in the presence of God in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we, we're called to be open in worship to the presence of the Holy Spirit but also to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I mean by that, and Daryl really put it best, he said, look, you know, God's not going to create a lot of chaos and a lot of disarray in our church, but if we feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit during our worship times, we should feel comfortable enough, particularly among one another, to respond to that prompting, to respond to that calling. That may be God calling you up here to pray at the altar. That may be God calling you to just get on your knees right there where you are in the pew and pray. It may be... It may be God calling you to stand up in the middle, or not middle, hopefully not in the middle of the sermon, but at some point in the service, uh, to give a testimony of God's grace in your life. It may be God prompting you to raise your hands or to stand during our worship time. It may be God prompting you to bow your head and be silent during our worship time. He prompts us in different ways. Don't, don't mistake that. I'm not, I'm not talking about everything's just chaotic and crazy, but respond when God calls you. When you feel the move of God in your heart, He wants you to respond. It's up to us to do that. And our worship time together will be blessed if and when we allow ourselves to start doing it. We're a little bit too tame sometimes, to be honest with you. We're a little bit too tame, and Kevin liked that, in the Methodist church a lot of times. Interestingly enough, that ain't what it was like back in the 17 and 1800s. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But regardless, 
those are the, 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 uh, the things in our church that I think God has used to prompt me to kind of concentrate on Pentecost and, and the Holy Spirit um, with you guys today. And understand this, though, too. The Holy Spirit, the work, the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit does not end, does not start and does not end with Sunday morning worship. It extends throughout our lives. It's not just about being aware to His presence when we're here on Sunday mornings. It's about being aware to His presence, His prompting, His movement every moment of every day of our lives. And that's particularly what I want to talk to you about. But before we get into it, before we get into this sermon this morning, I'm going ahead and give you a warning. I'm probably going to talk about some things that may be kind of difficult for some of you guys to digest. I'm going to talk about to you some things that may make you a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to talk to you about some things you might even question. And right in this moment, my wife, you can see her slowly drifting down into her pew, trying to hide Whatever you're thinking, baby, that ain't it. <clears throat> but some of this stuff might make you uncomfortable. You may have not have heard some of this stuff. You may not even believe some of this stuff. But I'm going to point to you in Scripture as to why we should. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background about myself as to why I've come to believe some of the things that I believe and some of the things that I practice. Nothing we're going to talk about is going to be harsh. Nothing we're going to talk about is going to be of a, of a condemning nature or, or insulting by any means. Um, but one thing that I have been told by you guys so far, and one thing that I have been told by my former church was that you guys appreciate the fact that I challenge you, and I hope that remains true, because I like to be challenged myself. I like to be challenged in my growth, my walk with God, and so I hope you'll maintain that attitude, particularly as we talk about some of these subjects today. So yeah, our scripture comes from the book of Acts, and it's a scripture that most of you are very, very familiar with, more than likely. It's the story of the out outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. I don't know why this thing keeps falling on me today. That would help, wouldn't it? You are so smart, Paulette. Surround yourself with wise women, men. So our scripture, again, comes from one that we all have probably heard if we've been in the, in the church for any amount of time. It's, it's the day of Pentecost. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the disciples, the early disciples, were gathered together following the, the uh, ascension of Christ, and he told them to hang out here. Hang out together until I come, until you get your next sign. Well... Here's the sign right here. I want to read the scripture to you real quick. Um, starting in verse 1, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Can I get the next one, Carl? If not, it's no problem, brother. And then we're going to jump down to verses 17 and 18 that read, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will see dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. That's the word of God for the people of God. That last portion there is from the book of Joel. It was, a, uh, it, was, it was a prophecy from the book of Joel. And these are actually Peter's words. Peter repeating the words that fulfill that prophecy back in the Old Testament book of Joel where he says in the last days, God says I'll pour out my spirit on all people, this and that. They're going to speak in different languages, all that stuff. This is it. This is the day that it happened. By the way, we've been in the last days for about 2,000 years. Okay? This is this scripture being fulfilled. 
here on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is, is coming and he is being poured out like never before onto the church of Jesus Christ. Major, major, major event in the life of the Christian church. It was a moment that Jesus himself had promised the disciples were coming, was coming right before he ascended into heaven. Back in the Gospel of Luke, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells the disciples this. He says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, that being the Holy Spirit. And then he instructed them again to remain where they were. And he says this, until you have been clothed with power from on high. In the beginning of the book of Acts, in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, we see kind of a similar scene here with Jesus. He tells the disciples, John the Baptist baptized you with water, or baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say this. He says, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, all of Samaria, all to the end of the earth. Notice how many times Christ uses that word, power. Power, that's very, very important. So sure enough, the day comes. Pentecost comes not too awful long after Christ's ascension, just a few days later. And it's a powerful, powerful event. So after this happens, after the Holy Spirit's poured out and uh, all these people start speaking in different languages and all that stuff, there were some naysayers in the crowd and they accused these people of being drunk. And uh, Peter comes along and he starts to give what, what we know today is Peter's Pentecost sermon. He says, no, 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 it's, they're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, for goodness sakes. And he actually says that. Y'all can, can read the scripture. He says, no, they're not drunk. They are uh, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They've been filled with the Spirit. He goes on to point out this prophecy from the book of Joel that points to this moment in time where the Holy Spirit, again, is being, pulled, is being poured out. And uh, during this sermon, or after this sermon, he calls people to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. And after he preaches this thing, 3,000 people, 3,000 people in one day, right after hearing one sermon, I wish I could preach one like that, come to know Christ as their Savior. And they receive the same powerful Holy Spirit right here, Right in that same day, that's amazing to me. Can you possibly put yourself in that scene? Can you possibly put yourself, imagine what that must have been like with, the, with the, all of this power going on around you. 3,000 people coming to know Christ. So that's, again, what a big deal this was. That's a big, how big the day of Pentecost was. And that's why we celebrate it so much. And it emphasizes, once again, not only the realness of the Holy Spirit, but the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to focus on right now. First and foremost, though, let's get to the elephant in the room, the one that we all want to talk about from the first part of the scripture that I read out of chapter 2. Let's talk about this subject of tongues. Ooh, tongues. Speaking in tongues. That's, that's what we all want to know about, right? That's the first thing that kind of jumps out to us as we read chat. Paulette did the uh, children's sermon this morning, and it was in, it was in her, uh, her children's sermon. She talked about the tongues of fire. That's the part that kind of jumps out to us. This whole idea about, about tongues, and is that still a real thing? Is, do people still do that? Is that still a reality? Does the Holy Spirit still empower His church to do that? I'm talking really fast because I've got a lot of notes up here, guys. Um, let me give you a little history. Let me give you a little, a little Methodist, a little Wesleyan history. Because, no, this isn't a subject that we talk about a whole lot in the Methodist church. It's certainly not one that you see practiced a whole lot. Although there are some... some um, local congregations in the Methodist Church that are, that are very charismatic in nature. But from a strictly historical standpoint, the Methodist Church, John Wesley, never, ever, ever denied 
what we call the extraordinary gifts. He believed in them wholeheartedly, even though he didn't practice them. He believed in prophecy. He believed in uh, interpreting tongues. He believed in, in miracles. He believed in physical healings. He believed certainly in speaking tongues. And although he didn't have these gifts, he never claimed to have these gifts, he certainly believed them. And he also certainly personally witnessed them uh, being performed and being poured out. Imagine all of the events, all of the, all, all of the uh, occasions where Wesley witnessed hundreds and thousands of people pouring their hearts out and coming to Christ in one day. Much, very, very similar to what we read about the day of Pentecost. Certainly, he witnessed physical healings. So he didn't deny these things. He believed in them wholeheartedly. He, however, stressed the idea of love um, above all of these things, which we certainly, as Christians and as Methodists, we should certainly do. Um, getting ahead of myself. <clears throat> Even though he didn't claim to have these things, he, he um, stressed more so the idea of Christian love and, and expressing or receiving the, uh, what we call the fruits of the Spirit above, above these things. Remember what Paul wrote, and that's very important to know, because even though we are talking about this stuff, it is very important to note that, yeah, love, love, the idea of actually loving people always comes first above, above seeking these types of gifts or even talking about these types of gifts. Remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians in the famous love chapter. He said, if I speak in tongues of men, or angel, men of angels but don't have love... Um, I'm only a resounding gong or a cling, clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and knowledge and I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I have nothing. So certainly those are first. Those are the things that we should seek first. However, from the, again the Methodist and Wesleyan perspective, the extraordinary gifts, while they may have failed to have been emphasized, they've never been disregarded in our church, ever. They've never been disregarded. They've never been denied. Wesley, again, certainly believed them, and he witnessed them in, uh, in undeniable, undeniable action. As we all know, some of, many of our more charismatic and Pentecostal brothers and sisters, this is some of their primary doctrines. This is part of their theology. This is part of their belief, and it's very, very visible in their communities. It's very, very visible in their churches, and it's, and it's very much practiced. First thing that I'll point out to you, or let you guys know about is um, most of these churches in the United States that come or that fall under that banner of Pentecostal or charismatic, most of them first and foremost, which you guys might find interesting, came out of the Methodist Church. The Assemblies of God, for example, one of the larger charismatic denominations came out of the Methodist Church. The Church of God, one of the larger Pentecostal denominations came out of the Methodist Church. Um, so we should always take note of that. We, we share a similar history. We share a similar theology with them. Second thing I want to tell you about is my own personal experience. Like a lot of you that I'm aware of, I grew up in, an, in, a, in a church that did not believe in what we're calling the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit. They didn't believe in prophecy. They didn't believe in tongues. They didn't believe uh, interpretation of tongues. They didn't believe in physical healing and, and, and miracles and that type of thing. Um, because there's a certain faction of the church that just doesn't believe in those things any longer. They think that those gifts uh, ceased with the early, early disciples, with the early church. And so that's kind of how I grew up believing. Well, you know, I thought it was a bunch of nonsense, actually. Um, God has a sense of humor, and God has a way of humbling us that's pretty cool. So what God did to me at one point in my life 
is he put me into a Pentecostal denomination. Those same people who I thought were crazy. Those same people who I thought were nuts. And he placed me there, or at least he allowed me to go there. And I was part of that denomination for two years. And uh, I saw things that I couldn't explain. They had the scripture to back up why they believed it. But I also had the experience of seeing and witnessing things that, that I couldn't explain. There was a woman in that church who could speak Native American languages that was, who, when she was speaking in tongues, and there's absolutely no way she could, have, she could have known that. I've seen other people speak in tongues. I've seen people interpret tongues with power and with authority. And yeah, I've seen, I've seen what I can undeniably say were miracles that had happened in that church and also since, since my time of leaving that church. And again, this is just what I'm telling you is my personal opinion. Y'all take it as you, as you want to take it. I believe that God let me be a part of that church so he could open up my mind, so he could open up my heart to the reality of the Holy Spirit and to the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit. So at one point after I started to believe, I started praying for this gift. I started praying for this gift of, of, of speaking in tongues. And one day I received it. Yeah, your preacher's praising tongues, guys. That freaks you out, I'm sorry. Because uh, it does a lot of folks. I prayed for it, and I received it. And I can remember that it happened to me one night at a prayer meeting. And it just started happening. It just started flowing, just like crazy, just like natural. And uh, it was the most intense experience, personal feeling. And I know Christianity is not all about feeling. But it was a feeling that I've ever had, ever had. And, uh, and I've, I've done it it's, uh, with Sandy before. It's, just, it's, just, it's not something you plan to do. It's just kinda, it just happens. And I think she'll tell you the same thing on those couple of occasions where it's come out where she and I have been praying together. It's a powerful experience. Now, I don't do that from the pulpit for a couple of reasons in the Methodist Church. Number one, I don't want to freak out a bunch of Methodists. <laughs> Y'all can laugh. That's funny. <clears throat> but there are, there, are, there are some scriptural um, reasons that I don't do it either. But it happens in my prayer time very, very frequently. And again, it's not something that I set up to do, set out to do when I, uh, when I start praying. It just happens. And if it happens, I roll with it. I go with it. There is a scripture, by the way, that tells us that the Holy Spirit prays for us in, in languages and sounds that we can't even understand. I think that's part of it. And I think that's evidence. That's evidence. That's enough to convince me that these gifts continue. And there's enough, that's enough to convince me that the power of the Holy Spirit is very much real in our lives as long as we can get to that point where we can submit to that power and we're ready to receive and we're ready to submit to that power what I would encourage you to do as you consider this particular gift and I know it's not one that we particularly want to talk about a lot don't discount it don't discount this one and don't discount any of what they call the extraordinary gifts because here's the thing folks and here's one of the, th here's one of the things that finally convinced me uh, besides my own personal experience for us to deny the power of the Holy Spirit, for us to deny the miraculous gifts, the extraordinary gifts, is for us to deny the power of God. It's for us to deny the ability of God. It's for us to say, God can't do this. Okay? And that statement in and of itself, besides my personal experience, is what has convinced me. That thought is what convinced me. For us to deny the reality of the supernatural 
is for us to deny the reality of God himself. Power, folks, power. With the Holy Spirit, we, you know, with the Holy Spirit comes power. And again, that's the word that I want to focus on primarily today. What is Christianity all about? I've told you guys it's about loving God and loving others. And that is certainly 100% true. But it's also about this idea of power. Not my power, not my authoritative, dictatorial power, but the power that God has. And we fail to embrace that. And that's why our churches suffer. You want to know why our numbers stink? Because we haven't embraced the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's just my personal opinion. And we are allowing our kids, we are allowing our communities, just like Kevin said, to go downhill because we refuse to embrace the reality of what the Holy Spirit can do for us. We want to make decisions based on our own instincts and our own minds instead of allowing the Holy Spirit, or never allowing God, to make the decisions for us. Our churches have done a wonderful job, a wonderful job, stressing Jesus and stressing the ideas of love for others. But we've had a tendency, a horrible, horrible tendency, to forget about or at least minimize the reality of the Holy Spirit. You know, when I was coming up, we, we, all, we all believed the same thing. We all believed in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the, here's the thing. We talked about God. We talked about Jesus. We didn't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. He was kind of over here somewhere. Is that y'all's experience? Because it was mine, too. That's what, I, that's what I grew up in. We talked about it. We said we believed in it. Yeah, but not so much that we're really going to talk about it and, and really try to put, put, put it into practice. I think this is the reason that we have lost our power. Once again, we've lost our influence, and we've lost our ability to evangelize and to disciple people because we don't embrace that. A few weeks ago, we did the Apostles' Creed, um, and we do that pretty frequently in the Methodist Church. One line in there says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's a very short affirmation, but it's also a very important affirmation. It's one that I think that we have perhaps forgotten. We dwindled that or dwindled it down to the point where it has really little meaning in our lives. There's two scriptures I want to pull out for you before, as I try my best to wrap up. Y'all got to forgive me. It is what it is. There's two scriptures I want to pull out to you to show you what the power of the Holy Spirit looks like. First one's the one that I mentioned earlier from the very, very beginning of Acts. You're going to find it in Acts chapter one, and it says this. And this is this is this is this is Christ. This is Christ talking to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven. He says, I want you to stay here until, once again, you have been clothed. I'm not that close to concluding yet, guys. <laughs> you, you have been clothed with power from on high. And that's exactly what happened. What happened at Pentecost was not weak. It was not a feeble event. And it didn't give us a frail church. It was a church that was graced and that acted on the power and the authority that was granted to them by the Holy Spirit. Second one comes from Luke chapter 9. And this is where I'm going to really... Y'all you know, thought the tongues thing was making you uncomfortable? Here's where I'm really going to make you guys uncomfortable. Luke chapter 9. Some of y'all are familiar with the story where Christ sends out... Uh, the, we may have talked about this a few weeks ago. Where Christ sends out his disciples on, on really what was their first mission trip, if you will, uh, to various towns, cities, communities. Here's what, he, uh, here's what happens right before he sends them out. He says these words to them. Luke 9, 1 and 2, read this. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power. There's that word again. He gave them power, and he gave them authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. 
He gave them that same power and authority through what? His Spirit, which is what? The Holy Spirit. Guess what, guys? It's the same Spirit that we have access to today. If you're born again, if you're a child of God, if you're a child of Jesus Christ, that same Spirit dwells inside of you today. Do we believe this? Do we believe this today? Look at four things Christ empowered his disciples to do, which, by the way, we're also empowered to do. Four things stick out. They gave him the power to drive out demons. Oh, boy. People about to walk out on me in just, just any second now. He gave them the power to cure diseases. He gave them the power to proclaim the kingdom of God, and he gave them the power to heal the sick. Y'all, we got this same power. Y'all may think I'm crazy. That's fine. Think I'm crazy. Scripture tells me that we have this same power, we have this same authority through the Holy Spirit. It's right there in the New Testament. It's right there in the Gospels. It's right there in the Epistles over and over and over again. But do we truly believe it? Better yet, do we practice it, folks? Or is this one of these things that we kind of accept on an intellectual level, but not so much on a practical level? Why is it easier for us to believe that we are endowed with the power and the authority to proclaim the kingdom of God, but we're not endowed with the power and the authority through the Holy Spirit to cure, to cure diseases? To heal people. Last Lent, I did a uh, I did an independent Bible study of my own, based on a book that was written by a, a pastor up in North Georgia, around the Augusta area. Her name is Dr. Car Carolyn Moore, and the name of that book is, or the name of the book, the name of the study is Supernatural, and she talks about some of this very stuff. Specifically, she talks about this chapter. This verses in Luke chapter 9 and in the first chapter she gives a great quote that really sums up what I'm getting at I couldn't have said it any better and I want to read it to you <clears throat> Dr. Moore, Reverend Moore writes this she says in Luke 9 the followers of Jesus have power and authority to cast out demons to cure diseases, to proclaim the kingdom and to heal the sick that is a far cry from what we are experiencing in most churches today. Until we're honest about that, I'm not sure we'll be able to move past the weak substitutes for which we have settled. Here's the question, church. How many of us are willing to lean in and to start crying out for the real thing? There is a catch, of course. To drive out demons, we have to get close within spitting distance to demon-possessed people. To heal, you have to touch people with all manner of disease. To proclaim the kingdom, you have to associate with heathens. You must get up close and personal with the poor, the prisoner, the blind, and the oppressed. Our culture has come to accept an hour in church and a blessing before a meal as the center of the Christian experience. We are not shooting for tolerable church. We are shooting for transformation and for lives that carry power and authority. I could not have said it any, I could not have summed up this sermon any better than she just did right there. Does this make you guys uncomfortable? Does talking about demons make you guys uncomfortable? Talking about healing folks make us uncomfortable? I'm sure. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it's not easy stuff for, for some of us to digest. Just like it used to be with me. A lot of us feel this way. We've lost our belief in the supernatural. It's one thing to come sit in a pew and talk about loving God and loving others, which is 100% what I believe. 
It's another thing to accept the fact that we live in a supernatural world and that every aspect of our lives is a spiritual aspect. There is no separation between my, I can't stand that phrase. People talk about my spiritual life, my spiritual practice. Everything we do is a spiritual practice. Every moment of your life is spiritual. There's no, there's no separation between the secular and the spiritual. If you're a Christian, every word that comes out of your mouth, every action you take is spiritual in nature. Every one of them. I don't have any demon-possessed stories to tell you guys, but I got plenty of healing stories to tell you. Plenty of them. I'm going to tell you one, and now, Kevin, I'm going to try my best to wrap it up. In my last church, we had a woman who was suffering through cancer. It was actually the second time. It had gone into remission, and she had, it, it, it had come back on her. And <clears throat> she was planning on going to the doctor. We met on Sunday, of course. She was planning on going to the doctor, or back to the doctor on the subsequent Monday for a follow-up. And the church got together. We did what James told us to do. I've read you guys this scripture before. We anointed this woman with oil. We placed our entire church at the time, placed their hands on her, and we prayed over her. Next day, she didn't have a drop of cancer in her body that they could detect. Now, y'all call that a medical thing if you want to. Y'all believe that that occurred however you want to. You'll never convince me otherwise that God didn't perform a miracle. You'll never convince me otherwise that the Holy Spirit didn't work. Judy Sly, have you, have you experienced a miracle in your life? Right. All day long you believe that, don't you? And I've seen that happen in other occasions, folks. That's not, that's not a one-time thing for me. This is the reality. This is the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Are we going to respond? Because I don't know about y'all, I want to see drug addicts and alcoholics healed. I want to see sick people healed. I want to see this building full of people, people praising God and responding to Him during our worship services. I want us to be known out there in the Valdosta, Lowndes County, Bemis community as a church that loves and a church that truly responds and believes in the reality and the power of the Holy Spirit. I ain't going to say he's going to heal everybody. He's not. He's not. But why don't we at least try? What's the, what's the harm? What's the harm in praying for somebody to be healed? None. There's no harm in that. No, God's not going to heal everybody. But what's it going to hurt us to pray for him for the goodness sake and believe that he will? whether it's a mental condition, a physical condition, an emotional condition, or a combination of all of those. What are we afraid of? Embarrassment? Are we afraid of being embarrassed? Are we afraid of our reputation? Are we afraid of people calling us holy rollers? Religious kooks, zealots, those kind of things? Here's the thing, you know, we should be willing. We should be willing to gladly sacrifice what any person might think about us. If it means that just one person can get healed. If it means just one addict, substance abuser, stops abusing substances. If it means that just one person suffering from traumatic depression, anxiety, all of these things. Just one person. Y'all can call me a kook. That's fine. Guess what? That person's walking a new life right now. Guess what? That friend of mine in my last church ain't got no cancer no more. what it's all about folks love and power if I had to tell you what Christianity was loving God loving our neighbor and accepting and practicing the power that has been graced to us given to us freely through the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us 
You want to see Bemis grow? You want to see Bemis grow both spiritually and numerically? There's our answer. Quit messing around. Quit practicing Christianity light and embrace the whole thing. Gracious God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the presence that's with us. Thank you, God, so much for your word. Thank you for blessing us with the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, God. I am personally sorry, and I personally repent of the times that I've heard him call on me to do something or to not do something, and that I failed to respond faithfully. I ask for your forgiveness in my personal life, God, and I ask that you would give me the Spirit to be able to respond faithfully each and every time I hear that calling. I pray for our church, God. I pray for individuals who would also be open to your presence at all times, to your movement, and whatever prompting you may have for their lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.